coming up on Philosophy Talk. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. An eye for an eye, the morality of revenge. You've got a nerve developed sense of vengeance. It's going to get you into trouble someday. Americans react in horror to societies that cut off a thief's hands. But we might take 10 years out of that thief's life without thinking twice. A crooked cop who got mixed up in the rackets and got what was coming. That's a terrific story. Does an eye for an eye really make the whole world blind? Our guest is Thane Rosenbaum, author of Payback, The Case for Revenge. The best revenge is living well. There's no chance of that. An eye for an eye. Coming up on Philosophy Talk. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're here at the studios of KALW San Francisco. We're continuing conversations that started at Philosopher's Corner at Stanford. That's where Ken and I hang out. Today, it's an eye for an eye. The morality of revenge. Well, whether it's some jerk who cuts you off in traffic, or some idiot who commits a violent crime against a person you love, the desire for getting even, for payback, is a very natural human response. Natural, John, but the big question, the philosophical question, is whether it's a response we should ever act on. Is revenge, taking revenge, ever the moral thing to do? Well, of course it is. If, if you cause someone to suffer, you should suffer too. It's only just, it's only fair that you pay back for what you've done. Revenge is a way of restoring balance in the moral universe. Oh, you've been watching too many Dirty Harry movies or something, John. Revenge just makes things worse. It ups the ante. It escalates violence. How does that restore anything? Because getting even restores a victim's sense of worth and honor and empowerment. Imagine someone commits a heinous crime against someone you love. Wouldn't you want that person to suffer, to pay for what they did? Of course I would. I would want to wring their necks with my own hands if I could. But we're not talking about personal reactions. We're talking about justice, criminal justice. In the case of meeting out punishment, just punishment, cooler heads need to prevail, not, not emotion. Well, justice is all about getting even. I mean, after all, isn't that why we punish wrongdoers in the first place? That's so such a benighted view, John. Justice isn't about payback. It's about deterrence. It's about uh, reformation, rehabilitation, forgiveness. That's what justice is about. Oh, God. I've got, I've got a bridge in Brooklyn I'd like to sell you, Ken, if that's what you think that it's all about. Locking up people, you think it deters crime, reforms criminals, maybe occasionally. But basically, you're living in a fantasy world. Punishment is about revenge, pure and simple. An eye for an eye. I like what Gandhi said about that. An eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. Well, good for Gandhi. I, I don't think he even understood the point of an eye for an eye. After all, in the context, it wasn't really calling for revenge. That was taken for granted. It was calling for limiting revenge so that it's proportionate to the crime. You can take an eye for an eye. 
but no more. So look, it follows. You think that you think that every murderer should be put to death. But I would have thought. I know you. I would have thought you were against the death penalty. Well, I'm not against a death penalty when people commit crimes that are so heinous that they ought to be put to death. But the criminal justice system is an utter mess. I mean, think of the people on death row. A lot of poor people, a lot of people of color, people who don't have the kind of access to resources that rich people do. You call that justice? No. Uh, And I don't call the current system a system of justice in any literal sense. It's a system of injustice. But that doesn't change the fact that there are people who deserve to die. Didn't Timothy McVeigh deserve to die? Uh, the justice system needs to do a better job figuring out who those people are. Grant you that. But look, even if we were 100% certain of who the real murderers are, I just think there's a higher path. Francis Bacon put it nicely. He said, in taking revenge, a man is but even with his enemy. But in passing it over, he is superior. Come on, Ken. Turn the other cheek. That's very New Testament of you. <laughs> well, look, I, I grant it is New Testament. And look what they did in South Africa with the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Forgiveness can be a powerful thing, John. We should move more toward restorative justice and away from revenge. That's my view. Restorative justice? That only works when the perpetrators of a crime are genuinely willing to accept responsibility and the victims have to buy into it, too. So you accept that forgiveness, when possible, is a higher path. I'm pleased. No, I didn't say that. I don't really believe that. Justice means we reward good deeds and we punish bad ones. Everyone gets their just desserts. We've lost track of that basic truth in our criminal justice system. You know, I disagree. I think an eye for an eye is just not the way to go. And and I wonder if revenge is actually any good for crime victims themselves, to tell you the truth. Well, Ken, to answer that question, we sent our roving philosophical reporter, Caitlin Ash, out to investigate the psychological side of revenge. She files this report. 16 years ago, Michael Overstreet kidnapped, raped, and murdered a college student. He was sentenced to death by a jury in Indiana. The victim's brother and mother told the local TV station it was the only punishment they'd accept. If you commit a crime as heinous as he did, I don't think there is any other punishment that should be done. You know, I don't really want to sit and watch somebody die, but for what he did, he deserves to die. It turns out there's a reason why it feels so good to know someone who's caused harm will suffer in turn. What you see happen at the neural level is activation of the brain's reward anticipation centers. Michael McCullough teaches psychology at the University of Miami. He's author of the book Beyond Revenge, The Evolution of the Forgiveness Instinct. So someone who's seeking revenge or who craves revenge really has the brain activation patterns of someone who Uh, perceives a reward, uh, you know, in the form of food or drink. Um, It looks like a goal that we are actively perceiving out of a sense of craving. From an evolutionary perspective, McCullough says revenge makes sense. In lots of places in nature, you get evolution for what I call anti-exploitation devices, features of organisms that seem well-designed for getting others to treat that organism better than they, they otherwise would. For example, a frog might evolve toxins to prevent a snake from eating it. 
Revenge is akin to poisonous toxins in that it deters exploitative behavior, and it's nearly universal in human societies throughout history. The reason that humans have this very profound taste for revenge, the reason why we are motivated to seek revenge, is because by doing so evolutionarily, our ancestors were able to deter other individuals from, from harming them. But revenge isn't the end of the story. Humans also have the incredible ability to forgive. We are social animals, after all, and our survival depends on those around us. We've developed legal systems, courts, and prisons to curb our desire for revenge. Capital punishment probably appeals to that strong desire we have to see wrongs righted because that strong desire is what natural selection built into us. Well, that may be authorized by the Constitution, but is it morally sound? After all, our Constitution at one time permitted slavery. Bruce Fine is a constitutional lawyer in Washington, D.C. These days, he's best known for representing Edward Snowden's father, but he also makes a pretty good case for the death penalty in extreme cases like genocide. That's an educational message, if you will. It's not retribution where we just want to jump on his gravesite and, and vivisect him and subject him to the, to the rack and screw. Fine says we have to get past our individual desire for revenge and look at the death penalty as a moral statement. I'm suggesting that there's certain behavior that is a matter of instructing the public as to what is human and what is subhuman. It's not retribution like I'm getting back at X. It's an educational mission about instructing the public, you know, this reduces you to a savage and you are killed in that when you've walked outside, you know, the, the pale of the human species. When revenge is taken from the hands of individuals and transferred to the state, we call that justice, right? University of Miami's Michael McCullough says there's something tragic about being an evolved creature in a culturally complex world. We don't expect people to go around and uh, kill the killers of their loved ones. We insist, as a matter of fact, that they turn that grievance over to institutions and to legal authorities. But I call it a tragedy because we're still left as victims with grief and anger and often a desire for revenge that doesn't get completely satiated. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Caitlin Esch. You can listen to the rest of this episode by purchasing it on iTunes Music. Or for unlimited listening, subscribe to our archive at philosophytalk.org.